Hey everyone, welcome back to the Marketplace Cafe. And if this is your first time, welcome. I'm Itunu and I'll be talking you through this Marketplace Latte episode, bringing you more detail and analysis on your top news story from last week. Thank you so much to everyone who participated in the poll on the Marketplace Cafe's Instagram, voting for what we're going to be talking about in more detail today. If you don't already know, that's at the.marketplacecafe on Instagram. I think I'll be putting up the poll every Sunday evening, so make sure that you look out for it. From the title, you probably already know what we're talking about today. We're talking about gender equality in the economy. Last week, there was a piece of news that seemed like good news for women in the economy. It was that the number of women that are Fortune 500 CEOs was at an all-time high. And yes, that's great. That's fantastic news. But this all-time high is 37 out of 500 CEOs, which is only 7.4%. And this shows that we have such a long way to go in reaching gender equality in the economy. So today we'll be talking about where gender equality in the economy currently stands in terms of participation rates, gender pay gaps, sectors and other things. And also we will be talking about the importance of gender equality in achieving economic development for countries and in terms of growth for firms as well. Of course, I have to start with bombarding you with statistics on where gender equality currently stands globally. But just because I want to give you a holistic perspective. I'm not actually a great fan of global rates, and that's because they usually tend to be countries at opposing sides of the spectrum in terms of regional variations. But at the same time, I think that they are quite handy because I assume that you could be interested in a variety of countries and it would be very long if I started listing out potential countries. So today we'll be doing global rates because they're easy to deal with, but I'll drop in some regional variations where necessary. So the first thing that I looked at was female labor participation rates, and that is the percentage of the female population, 15 years and above, that participates actively in the labor force. And when we talk about active participation in the labor force, this talks about people that are employed, and people that are actively seeking employment, so people who might be unemployed. And the World Bank gave figures for 2019. The world female labor force participation rate in 2019 was 47.14%. And that has actually been on a downward trend since 1990. But this has only been by about 3%. And when I saw this, I was wondering why exactly that was. Um, Because if anything, we have become more aware of gender equality since the 1990s. But I think that it might just be a case of that in 1990, there were only a few countries that were taken into account in the measure and that more countries have been added over time. So it looks like participation has gone down, but it hasn't really. So I wouldn't really worry too much about that. In terms of the worst countries, we have Yemen that has female participation rates at 6% and Iraq at 12%. Generally, North Africa and Middle East were the worst region, with 20% overall female labor force participation rate. I assume that this has to do with cultural expectations of women, and also there has been a lot of unrest in that region, um, which has meant displacement of mothers and children, um, and that doesn't really leave much room for labor force participation. And in terms of the best countries, we have Rwanda, which is at 84% um, 
labor force participation rate for women and the best region in general is actually sub-saharan africa at 61 percent which i thought was quite interesting i was reading a study done by the global mckinsey institute and that said that in terms of female participation the trend that we usually see is that it's usually high in countries at their early stages of economic development and then it falls in middle-income countries and then it rises again in advanced economies I didn't think it was enough to just look at general labor participation because there are different sectors within the economy. And I thought that we should zoom a bit and look at how this participation was distributed across different sectors. So the International Labor Organization, um, they did a study in 121 countries, um, which actually make up 63% of global employment because they excluded China and India in this study. And they found that 88% of the people in personal care are women, 76% of health associate professionals are women, 74% of helpers or cleaners are women. And I guess that these findings stem from the societal perception of women as carers or nurturers. Um, And on the other hand, they found that 72% of CEOs, senior officials and legislators are men, 97% of building builders and people in related trades are men, 84% of science and engineering associates professionals are men, which again, I think has to do with societal perception of men in terms of their strength and probably the thought of them as traditional leaders in some sort of sense. Also, just feel free to let me know what your thoughts are on this in general. You can always leave me a comment on one of the posts on the Marketplace Cafe's Instagram, or you could send me a DM if you like. Looking at a specific country, um, the US to be precise, over the last few years, they have seen a change in the types of jobs that women take on. So more women are seen being physicians and surgeons. The percentage of women in this occupation grew from 26% in the 1990s to 40% in 2019. And other occupations such as physical scientists and pharmacists have seen a similar rise of 17 and 15 percent respectively these seem like only medicine related professions but there definitely are other ones um but these are the ones that have seen the most rise so other professions include architects and lawyers and those have seen a nine to ten percent rise as well between 1990s and 2019 and the article that i was reading attributed this rise to increased education of women. So they found that um, more women than men were actually graduating from college. Um, In 2018, 57% of college degrees were awarded to women. And I think that female education is something that's being focused on more around the world. So we could possibly see a change worldwide in, in the types of jobs that women go into. And also increased automation as well is moving more middle income jobs to either high income or low income. And more women tend to go into white collar jobs, especially with the rise in education amongst women. Now we've seen participation rates and we've looked at the difference in sectors. So we definitely have to talk about gender pay gap. A few years ago, I know that this was brought to the forefront of the talk about gender equality because I think a law was passed in the UK that companies had to publish their gender pay gap reports. And in a study done by the International Labour Organization, it was reported that the global gender pay gap is somewhere between 
16 and 22 percent. This means that women earn somewhere between 16 and 22 percent less than men for doing the same work. Of course, this being a global measure, there is some sort of regional disparity. So in countries such as Pakistan, this is as large as 34%. And interestingly enough, in the Philippines, this is about minus 10%. And this means that women earn about 10% more than men in the Philippines. Thinking about the reason behind these gaps, there are a number of things. And you can feel free to chip in your thoughts as well on the Marketplace Cafe's Instagram. But generally, these gaps show the perceived value of a woman's work against the value of a man's work. And that probably just projects how society feels generally. And also I was reading somewhere that women are less likely to be assertive in terms of getting a pay rise compared to a man. So it could also boil down to factors like that. Another thing, especially if we're comparing monthly wages, is that more women work part-time and work less hours, especially because of the societal expectation for women to be so hands-on taking care of children. I'm a huge advocate of paternal leave, by the way, and I think that more men should take it on to even the load of childcare. But of course, it could probably never replace the fact that women go through physical and mental changes after childbirth, which could mean that they need more time away from work than a man in terms of parental leave. But feel free to let me know your thoughts. Why do you think these gaps exist? We definitely have to also look at gender equality in the top positions. From last week, we already know that women hold 7.4% of the CEO positions in the Fortune 500 companies. Looking over at the FTSE 100 companies on the London Stock Exchange, only 5% of the CEOs in these companies are women. And to give us a more global perspective, in a study done by Grant Thornton on women in business globally, they found that 29% of the senior management roles are held by women, even though 87% of global companies have at least one woman in a senior management role. I definitely believe in having whoever is competent for the role occupying that role, and it's in the best interest of any company to do that. But thinking about why having more women at the table occupying top positions is important, I think that having diversity of any sort brings different mindsets and different ways of thinking to the table and the company can only do better for that because it drives innovation and fresh ways of thinking, which every business needs. Also, having more women at the top shatters that subconscious bias that exists and it allows even more women to come to the top and advance their careers in general. It's kind of like a reinforcing cycle. Also, I was reading a CNN business article, which was titled, Why it's good for business to have a woman at the top. And it referenced a study in America using the Russell 3000 index. So this is an index rating the top American companies according to their stock prices. The study showed that companies with women as their CEOs after two years had gained more momentum in their stock prices and were viewed as less risky for investors. The same thing for companies with women CFOs, which are chief financial officers. And after reading this, I had some thoughts. Again, feel free to share your thoughts with me as well. But I was thinking that I don't know about one gender being better than another at being a CEO or a CFO. I think that both genders bring different characteristics or perspectives to the table. 
women might seem overall to be less risky than men who might be driven to take more risks. And that isn't to say that there isn't the odd woman that enjoys taking risks. And that also isn't to say that there is anything wrong with taking risks. Um, They could be good for business. They could also go terribly wrong. And also, because there are not very many women at the top, I think that this great performance of women, according to the study, may be as a result of the pressure that women face when they do get to the top. So first of all, society is quite picky about the type of woman that, that gets to the top. And when they do get there, there is a lot of pressure for them to prove themselves. So I think that that also contributes to why it seems like women are better at being CEOs or CFOs than men. But I definitely do think that there should be more diversity at the top in terms of gender parity and also race diversity as well, because I think it could only do the company more good than harm in terms of the richness of perspectives and mindsets. And I know that that is something that firms um, seem to be increasingly paying attention to um, with the rise in all these women empowerment programs and also BME empowerment programs as well. But I guess they should keep that going and expand that as well because not all companies or not all firms are doing that yet. The last front that we're going to look at gender equality on is from a government perspective. So we'll start from looking at the percentage of women that are parliamentarians. Parliamentarians across all government systems are representatives of the voices and the perspectives of the people, whether that be in the parliament or in the house. So UN Women did a study on this um, and they found that in February 2019, 24.3% of national parliamentarians were women, compared to 11.3% in 1995. And of course, if we look at specific countries and regions, Rwanda, again, has highest number of women parliamentarians worldwide. They're 61.3% women in the lower house. The lowest percentage of female participation as parliamentarians is in the Middle East at 19%, and 19.8% in Asia, while the highest female participation is in the Nordic countries at 42.5%. I like to think that this sort of female participation levels is as a result of the traditionally rigorous way that politics is viewed, and in some ways society views women as not being able to play the game. But I think that that perspective is changing, and although it's not perfect yet, uh, more women are getting into politics As at June 2019, 11 women were serving as head of state and 12 as head of government, according to this same study by UN Women. And this shows progress to some extent. So thinking about why women are needed in government, it brings a more holistic perspective to the government. They're meant to be looking at and meeting the needs of the people. And having women there puts pressure on the government to champion gender equality causes, which may not necessarily be brought up otherwise. If for anything else, gender equality is actually a springboard for economic development for all countries. In a study done by McKinsey Global Institute in September 2015, they measured the economic gains that countries could see as a result of changing changing work and making it more gender equal. And they looked at this in three dimensions. So they looked at labor participation rates. They looked at hours worked and they looked at equality in sectors. So evening out um, participation across sectors. 
They found that closing the labor force participation gap could lead to a 54% increase in global GDP. And of course, again, there are regional variations. So regions like the Middle East and North Africa, and including the country India, they could see as much as 85 to 90% increase in GDP if they evened out labor participation. And in terms of hours worked, closing the gap that exists could lead to a 23% increase in global GDP. This is because we see women work significantly lower hours than men. And this is usually, again, because of their responsibilities to family as unevenly imposed on women by society. Countries in Western Europe could particularly benefit from this. They could benefit up to 50% GDP growth if hours were leveled out. And then for sector mix of employment, having women evenly across low productivity to high productivity sectors, um, countries could see, well, the the world's global GDP um, could rise by 23%. And then regions like Sub-Saharan Africa, Eastern Europe and Central Asia, they could particularly benefit from this, seeing up to 40% increase in their GDP if they prioritized this. And the study acknowledged the fact that gender parity is something that is not going to be reached in the blink of an eye. But at least through the study, we can see the amount of potential for the world economy if gender equality and policies to reach gender equality were pursued by governments. Speaking of governments, we have to speak about Japan. They attempted a policy called Womenomics in 2013, and that's where I got the title of this episode from just by the way. Japan has had an aging population for a while now and that has been stunting their economic growth. In 2013 they found that closing the gender gap could boost their economy by about 13 to 15 percent which is a sizable amount. So the government decided to prioritize increasing female labor participation and they were actually able to get this up to 66 percent in 2016 which by global standards is actually pretty good. At the time, the US was at 64%. So pretty good. And then they did this by expanding childcare and then reducing taxes for dependent spouses. But the thing is that when they analyzed the overall success of this policy, they found that cultural norms and expectations actually had a stronger hold on Japanese women than any incentive provided by the government. It was found that 68% of women They permanently quit their job after having a child, even though there was a 14-week paid leave available to them. And also, irrespective of the fact that there was gender-neutral parental leave, only 2% of fathers actually took this leave. It was found, as is the case globally, that women who did stay in the labor force after childbirth took on more irregular or part-time work. And now the government is rethinking this policy and looking at how they could create stronger incentives for people. I found this in general quite interesting because it shows that there is a limit to the influence of the government, especially when people are strongly held by culture or society, especially in terms of expectations of women. And another country that has been very, very popular in our discussion today is Rwanda. And Rwanda, they seem to be doing very well in gender equality in terms of labor force participation. I mean, They have the highest um, female labor force participation rate in the world. And you may be wondering why is that? At least I I was wondering first time I found out. And it's actually because of natural selection. 
So Rwanda had a genocide not very long ago, in 1994 to be precise. And as a result of this, um, post-genocide, 60 to 70% of their population were women. Um, And as a result, the government really had no choice but to leverage on the people that they actually had, whether they were men, whether they were women, to pursue economic development. And Rwanda is far from perfect, but at least they've made a start and I guess we'll see how far this takes them. Gender equality in terms of women's participation in the economy has definitely improved since as far back as the 1990s and even since 10 years ago. But it definitely has the potential to be better always. And at the end of the day, the economy will only be better for integrating more women into it and creating more a more conducive environment for women to enter into um, the labor force. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you found it informative. I want to know your thoughts on this episode and I'll be asking for your thoughts more often. So don't hesitate to leave me a comment on any of the Instagram posts at the Marketplace Cafe. Or you can send me a DM if you prefer. And let's start or continue this conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Much love and see you on Saturday for the Marketplace Espresso.